Welcome to Teamwork, A Better Way, the podcast filled with stories, experiences, and insights from leading high-performing team experts. Here are your hosts, Spencer Horn and Christian Napier. Well, good morning, everyone. Happy day after Labor Day. It's great to be with you all. I'm Christian Napier. He is Spencer Horn, the man in the most colorful shirt I can imagine, which contrasts nicely with that very monochromatic background you've got. Yeah, well, I wanted to I wanted to have a little bit of bright effervescence because I don't have all my lights yet set up in my new office. And I spent Labor Day laboring to uh, we, we moved into our new house, as I as I said last time, and it's oh, what a. I, I'm glad I don't have to do this for a long, long time. Fingers crossed, right? But we uh, we we moved in over a weekend and then promptly went out of town for a week and came back to this boxes in mayhem. So my office is 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 getting there, but it's it's not all set up. So I wanted to add some color. How was your Labor Day weekend? <laughs> well, I'm here in a black shirt, so I don't know if that's reflective of anything. It was relaxed. As you know, we had a lot of uh, rain uh, yesterday, and so uh, our uh, son-in-law uh, and uh, our daughter uh, flew in for the weekend from Seattle, so it was nice to have them here, and I think oh, they wow, brought the rain great. with them. <laughs> so we had a lot of rain, uh, but it was a nice, relaxing holiday. Uh, great to spend it with family. Oh, I love that. Well, good, good for you. So we have... Uh... We have an important topic today. We do. <laughs> and I want to know how you came up with the title uh, of, of, of our podcast today. That, that that was pretty hilarious when you sent it to me. Hey, should we call it this? I'm like, hey, uh, yeah, let's do it. Well, I think that, you know, middle managers, you know, the title is, if you haven't read it, uh, uh, stop giving middle managers the middle finger. And, you know, I think middle managers get a, a, a bad rap. And in popular culture and in, in shows like, you know, The Office, you've got, the, you know, I, I don't even I, I can't even bring myself to watch The Office because it it, it creates I, I feel like I turn apoplectic. I mean, I just can't stand the, the, the stupidity. And so I, that's my own issues with uh, with comedies and, and, and stuff. But it is obviously a story about. You know, Steve Carell, who, you know, UK has their own version, but here in the US, Steve Carell is this middle manager for this Pennsylvania paper company, and he's completely inept and not self-aware, and, and the office is is just mayhem. And so that is often our, our caricature or picture of what a middle manager is. And then you add, you know, people who are... Uh, in, in the the news every day, like Mark Zuckerberg and and Elon Musk, and how they feel about middle managers, maybe you can share about that. And, and it they don't get a good rap, do they? No, they kind of get it from both ends, right? I mean, they they get it from the line staff uh, or frontline managers, right. and then they also get it from the C suite, you know, the 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 executives, and so. Uh, it, it becomes easy for for someone to parody like the the writers sure. of the office you know to parody it because uh they are picked on quite a bit really the inspiration for this conversation was an article that was uh published in sherm uh which is uh, the society for human resource management uh, which references a study 
done by McKinsey earlier this year, looking at middle managers. And yeah. there were a lot of insightful things. And I shared this article with you, Spencer, and and you're like, hey, this is a great topic. So I'm curious, uh, what what was it that initially sparked your 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 interest here was you as you as you looked at well, what was written so much of the pain that i see that happens within organizations that i'm working with comes from the fact that middle management is not set up for success and and so as a result you know the c suite as you referenced is frustrated with them and then middle management is frustrated because they're not getting the support they don't necessarily know how to lead because they've been put in this position. I, I see this happening all the time where you have, you know, your best employee and I'm coaching several of them. The best employee is, is promoted because you need someone to step into a leadership role. Well, the problem is, is that they're the best at doing the job, but not at managing people doing the job. They're completely different skill sets. You know, we hire often frontline employees to do tasks, right? To uh, to do the job. So those are oftentimes technical skills or customer interaction. Yet managing people doing that is is completely different. And, and what happens is so many dynamics that one manager that, that comes to mind that I'm working with right now was just a top performing manager, hardworking, dedicated, committed. And he has a really hard time letting go of that job because there's fulfillment in it. He feels good about that. He's not so sure about the management part and working with people. And there's frustrations in, in dealing with all the people dynamics. And so that sense of, of accomplishment comes from doing the job. And so they revert many times back to just stepping in doing the job. And what that does is then it, it, it signals the, the frontline employees that, oh, hey, I don't have to work as hard. And, and my manager's going to come in and step in and, and do my job. So why should I really work that hard? And as a result, they do less and less. The manager ends up doing more and more. And the, and the middle manager gets frustrated with their frontline employees because they're doing less and less. But they actually created that because they didn't know better. And that's where they get a lot of their, their self-worth. you know worth. And so and, you know, I could talk about that dynamic forever. Then you put them in that position and don't give them the skills or the tools or the training to really, really succeed. And so we're not setting our people up for success. So that's one of the reasons why I'm passionate about it. And, um, and, and I see the value that they bring. Because if you, I believe, Christian, that when the C-suite gets this right, when they invest in, in this level of management, it absolutely can transform an organization because I believe that's where the greatest impact within organizations happen. Middle managers are affecting frontline supervisors and, and the employees that are doing the work that is bringing value to the organization. And if that's done well, great results can happen. Happy employees, happy, you know, uh, uh, they're engaged, uh, they're bringing revenues in, they're interacting with the customers, they're doing a great job. The C-suite is happy. Why did you well, bring it up? I mean, why did you recommend it? Uh, you know, I thought it was, I thought it was really interesting. I know you've got some of the graphics there because there were a couple of tables or charts or something like that that were included yeah. uh, in the article from the, from the McKinsey study. And, yeah. uh, you know, one of the, well, I guess the most uh, often uh, mentioned item 
as a negative item by middle managers was uh, just dealing with the organizational bureaucracy. And you often feel like a cog uh, in this big machine and all you're doing is just, uh, you're just keeping that machine operating. You don't really have uh, a lot of fulfilling responsibilities. And, and, And I remember this early on in my career Spencer, uh, you know, I was I was a line staff doing technical customer support for a software company, and then was asked if I wanted to take on a management role. Uh, so above kind of the supervisors and become the manager of uh, their training uh, area and. I thought, hey, it's a great opportunity. I get a raise. Uh, you know, this is fantastic. And I get an office and I was pretty All the inducements to take the job, right? Yeah. And, and you know, that, that it sounded great. And I got in there and I, this is not to be critical of anybody in, the, in that company, but I, I didn't get any kind of training at all. And I really felt like what I was doing was just approving people's expense reports and, you know, doing performance reviews. And I was just not doing work that I really felt personally was uh, fulfilling. And when I looked at the work that my employees were doing, they were out in the field, they were consulting clients, and they were doing fulfilling work, you know, and it wasn't a problem motivating them or anything, because the work was really good. After a period of time, I said, you know what, this management title, this office, it's not worth it. I will go back into a cubicle as a consultant and, uh, you know, in the same company. And so I resigned from, from that position and actually demoted myself to becoming a consultant. They hired another person to come in and be the manager uh, 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 of that department. What Just because I, I felt so unfulfilled. I I, you know, I I hear that and I I believe that and and what did management how did they respond to your to your move? They were they were totally fine with it. You know they they were a little curious because like well who does that who who says you know I actually just want to be demoted, uh, but so, the so other this thing is that, a cautionary tale, right? I mean because as as I put up that graphic and I'll I'll do it again these are the things that hamper managers right 44% just have to deal with bureaucracy and including just meetings unnecessary or overly long meetings that they have to do some of these things that prevent them from from doing the work that is fulfilling and exciting now obviously there has to be the administrative work done right but you bring up a, a, a very, very important point. I mean, if you have underperforming employees, you don't know how to manage them. You've got senior leaders that are coming in doing Siegel management. They're coming in, flying in, pooping all over everybody and then leaving. And you got to clean up the mess or, or they're, they're just creating negative dynamics on the team. Or you have uh, people being laid off. And so you're doing more with less. You have just so many workload demands, especially after COVID, you know, we have downsizing, we have uh, uh, managers that are increasing responsibility. Add to that, Christian, now you have hybrid. uh, So they have to manage these new dynamics. 
so I, I I'm coaching another middle manager is actually a regional manager, but it's a basically a manages a small frontline team. And this is an individual that's been with the company a lot of years. And they're really struggling with the new dynamics because the old company was just all about, hey, just you do the work. It's it's tick the boxes. It's all very mechanical, right? I mean, and if somebody quit, they just plugged in a new person. Well, that's not happening anymore because plugging new people in is not a given anymore. They have to create an environment where people want to stay and work. And that means now the managers actually have to be really good at human skills. And this is a manager that struggles with that. Grew up, didn't have the uh, upbringing that there was vulnerability or emotional connection to anything or anybody. And so now uh, trying to have just real conversations gets this person in trouble because they, they don't have the emotional intelligence. So when they do interact, they say the wrong things. And then they get backlash. And so now they're like, oh, now I can't, I can't have any personal conversation. This is reinforcing my just get back to the, the mechanical stuff of the, uh, that, I, that I'm comfortable with. Well, that's creating a problem for this, this team because they're not able to onboard and, and bring the best people on. And management doesn't have faith that they're able to manage the, uh, you know, the, the new people that they give them. It's a terrible conundrum. But they're required to, to have all these human skills and to interact and, and to lead and to inspire and to motivate when they're not inspired. I mean, you just you're talking about your, your situation. How hard is it to inspire and motivate people when you're just drained and exhausted? Well, it's absolutely true. I mean, you're sitting there and like I said, you're, you're looking at expense reports. You're approving flights. You're, you're just, you know... Things that are within your realm of purchasing power, uh, uh, and and it's just not it's just not inspiring, motivating work. One of the things that I found really interesting looking at this article, Spencer, was, and I and I'm sure you've had clients that have had this challenge recently because of the pandemic. Yeah, uh, the you talked about it, the discrepancy between the technical skills. And as our friends in PMI call it, the power skills or the soft skills, right? Right. And and how that become that became even more predominant post COVID because middle managers were not only expected to uh, you know, manage the performance of the people, but really to to get more. I don't want to say involved in their lives, but to understand them more as people. And there is a skill gap there because there is. these middle managers were not trained for that kind of interaction with employees. You know, it, it was very much just, you know, weekly status reports or, you know, you have your one hour meeting and that's it. And and now you're on a Zoom call, which was a new thing. We weren't managing teams on Zoom before. You don't know how to and do not that. Only that. You know, you're you're dealing with people's you know, challenges outside of work and, and uh, that and they're just not equipped for that. Yeah. Just totally not equipped.
You know, I, I think part of the problem is, Christian, is that the, the C-suite doesn't really understand. I mean, they, they don't have always visibility into what management is doing, and they just are interested in the bottom line. And so a lot of times you see uh, executives saying, well, let, we, we've got to flatten our organization. We've got to get rid of those middle managers to increase the bottom line and, and, and just save expenses because, you know, we don't, we don't need people approving uh, flights and all that sort of stuff. We, you know, we need to get rid of a layer of management. So you've seen that with Mark Zuckerberg at Meta. You've seen that with uh, Elon Musk, with uh, Twitter and X. Even you remember Zappos, that company, uh, remember Tony Shea, his philosophy was to create what's called a holacracy. Do you remember that? Have you heard of that concept of a holacracy? <laughs> that's, that's vaguely familiar. Uh, but yeah, why don't you tell us what the holacracy is? <laughs> well, his idea is, is he wanted employees, the, the, the organization to be completely flat. I mean, I love his idea of, I, I went and saw his, his office and it's right there on the floor with everybody else. He didn't have a corner suite. And I love that idea of being, you know, plebeian with everybody else, just kind of regular person. I, I think that it is, that's a great example. But I, I struggled with the idea that he had just eliminate all management and, and people will, will lead themselves. In my experience, um, they don't because they don't know how. Or they don't have the vision or they don't have the goals. They don't have, uh, you know, you still have to be able to imbue them with the direction and what it is that, that we're trying to accomplish. And yeah, you could have somebody just put them in a job and, and do that job. But how do you, how do you measure performance? And performance is more than just productivity. And I talk about this all the time. I mean, the company, a team exists to create results, to sell shoes in Zappos case. Right. And, and Tony wants to sell a lot of shoes. He did. He, you know, when he when he was alive and when he was running his company. And but to do that, you've got to create sustainability. So his idea was to create this environment that everyone just managed themselves and wanted to be there to create this positive environment. And it it, it backfired. And and I and I thought it would because people. I believe, just like you said, there are actually some people that don't want to lead. Not only do they want to not lead others, they don't want to lead themselves. They just want to show up and do the job and do the work. And sometimes they need help with that and they need directions because things change. The, the market changes, the economy changes, the competitive, you know, competitors changing. Who's managing that? Who's making sure that the new data and information is being disseminated and, and new learnings and, and new approaches are being uh, uh incorporated into how you operate. If there's nobody leading that, then you have chaos and, and everybody doing what they want and, and going in different directions. And if everyone's going in different directions, things fall between the cracks. But to get aligned, you need, you need leadership, you need vision, you need, you need direction. And I, I do an exercise with, it's one of my favorite exercises to do with, um, with my clients. And I've done it with, with small companies. I've done it with big groups of over a hundred people. And what we do is we organize, uh, we, it's, a, it's a process called if chairs could talk. And we, we have everyone organized in groups of five and six people. And it, it's kind of structured a, as a pyramid. So you have a chair A and everybody's facing forward and chair B right behind chair A, so close enough that the knees almost touch. And then you have chairs B, C, D, and E, and maybe F on, on the back row. 
Now, there are extremely strict lines of communication, and I give everybody a packet with instructions and a notepad and a pen. And the instructions are they have 15 minutes to solve a problem. And the only way that they can communicate is through the notepad. So no, no talking, they can't turn around, they only have to face forward, and there are strict lines of communication. So A can communicate with B, B can communicate with A. Now B can communicate with C, D, E, and F. And so what happens is, is that everybody has their, their instructions, I don't want to give it away, but um, they start passing notes, and that person in the B seat becomes overwhelmed because... C, D, E, and F can't talk with each other. They can only talk with B. And so the notes just come furiously and, and they're on the back row. They're not getting any information. They don't know what's going on. And B's frustrated because they don't know exactly know what's going on. A has all, the, has all the answers, but thinks everybody else knows what's going on. And so they don't give them all that information. And it's so funny because we'll have CEOs. Uh-oh. What happened? It says continue without Spencer. <laughs> Streaming <laughs> error. Uh, no. So, <laughs> I don't know if it's uh, Facebook had an error or whatever, but uh, so we just lost Facebook. Sorry, Facebook. <laughs> Sorry, Facebook. Um, anyway, so w what what happens is, is that we'll have a, a CEO of an organization that gets on the back row or gets in that in that B seat, or sometimes even in the A seat. It doesn't matter where they sit. They have all kinds of ahas because if they're sitting on the back row, they're realizing, hey, my vision in, is not is not getting there. It's not it's not it's not coming to the end of the row. And when I'm in that B seat, I'm completely overwhelmed. And and we do this process for 15 minutes, Christian. And then we spend 45 minutes talking about what happened and how this relates to the organization. And so many ahas happen. And it's it, the takeaways are so powerful. And it's not just that the A represents the CEO. It could represent the customer. It's whoever has the most information, right? And so the B person is whoever they refer that information to. That's that middle man or middle person, middle woman. And what do they do with that information and the responsibilities that they have? But so often we underestimate the pressure of middle management. We discount that and the value that they bring and the importance that they have in the organization. So what do you do to rectify it, Spencer? I mean, you, you go through this entertaining exercise and educational exercise to show how challenging it is for middle management. So what are the remedies that uh, come out of that? Well, I mean, for, for this exercise, one of the things we talk about is, you know, what, what chair am I in and recognizing what chair you're in and what responsibilities you have based on that chair that you're, that you're in. And I think for, for the, the C-suite, one of the remedies is to understand the, the, the potential for positive impact that middle management can have. So that's the first thing is is understand the value and and set them up for success know that just because you have a good employee that doesn't mean they're going to make a great manager so make sure that you're promoting the right people for the right reasons and then when you do so make sure you're giving them the tools that they need give them the time to be able to 
prepare and to and to learn and to grow. And so what some of my best clients do is they allow me not only to am I coaching the, the senior executives, but I'm coaching those middle managers. Um, sometimes the, the C-suite and senior executives just don't have the time to, to coach and, and mentor, but they, they really need to spend more of their time mentoring and coaching. And if they can't do that, bring some outside help into coaching them, making sure that that help is aligned with the mission and vision of of the organization so that you then become an extension of, of management. And that's, that's what I do for some of my clients. And so that's, that's one, that those are, those are some things that you can do. Okay. I have a question for you on, along those lines. When we talk about the, you've, you've mentioned it a couple of times, we tend to promote people who are good technically may, may or may not have the, the people skills needed because sometimes they're great technically but they also have fantastic uh, uh interpersonal leadership communication skills but sometimes do not and i find it curious if you look if you if you look at job postings on linkedin or indeed for middle management positions you know like senior project managers or director uh or regional manager kind of positions particularly in areas that are 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 um, that have technical uh, elements to them, whether they're engineering or manufacturing or pharmaceuticals or technology. You know, uh, if you look at the qualifications, <laughs> <laughs> they are very heavily technical, right? Right. So, I think I think it it starts there. When you're looking for people, the way you are drafting this position, the way you articulate it, um, you already are showing a bias toward these technical skills, which, you know, they might be needed in a pinch if a team member uh, falters or somebody leaves and the manager has to step in and do something, or they might be needed or they're, they're perceived that they're needed because the team, you know, the, 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 the thinking as well, in order for this person to have any credibility to lead the team, he's got to have all of these technical accomplishments. Otherwise they're not going to have any faith in him or they're not going to be, they're not going to feel like this person can relate to me because they don't know what I go through on a day-to-day -day basis. But I think that this problem starts right at the beginning from recruiting for these positions, because you know, whether it's promoting in-house or whether it's going outside, you know, the way that that job description is written, generally speaking, weighs technical skills more heavily than the interpersonal, the leadership and the communication skills. 100%. And, you know, I, I, I think that's a bias that has developed o over time just from our educational system. I think how we score uh you know, tests, it, it, it's, you know, you have to have that, that technical knowledge. It's easier to measure than are the human and emotional skills. And so because it's easier to measure, that's what so many of our, uh, you know, our standardized tests are able to measure. And then I think over years, we, you know, we've just the nomenclature that we use hard skill versus soft skill is uh, somehow says that a soft skill is not as important as a hard skill. Now that's a, that's a complete misnomer. And I believe those terms come from the U S military when they would 
you know, uh, develop the skills to, for example, drive a, you know, a tank or fly a plane or shoot a gun. Those are hard skills, right? Being able to, to, to uh, fix the equipment. Those are all hard skills. The soft skills they considered to be how do you organize a, a squad, a, you know, a, a platoon, a team and motivate them and engage them. Now, from the Army's perspective, which is more important? It was actually the soft skills. But think of it, you have hardware and you have software to run the hardware, which is more important. But over, over the years, for some reason, we've given, you know, the hardware is more important. No, you've got to be able to run the system with the software, with the skills, with the human skills. And so now you've got managers that are having to do employee reviews based on these, you know, technical skills. And they're just, you know, they're just not... Um, you know, having the, the, the impact that they want to have. And, and so they don't know how to measure the, the human skills. We, we want our people to be able to, to have a, a great atmosphere on the team. We want them to have great communication and interaction. We want them to develop certain behaviors. So one of the things I help my clients do is not only hire for technical skills, which is important, but I get the, the executives all together and we identify what are the behavioral skills that are necessary for that position. We take the best people that have been in that role in the past, if, if, if they're still there, if we have multiple people in that position, we take the, the C-suite's perspective on what behaviors they need to be successful. We put that all together and we analyze it and we see how, how different perspectives each team member has. We get aligned. We say, okay, this is what is going to help this person be successful. And as we interview, we compare against that template, not to, not to discriminate, but to see how they, they compare. And if they're out of alignment, do they have some compensatory uh, uh, skills or behaviors that, that we can accept? And so those are some, some ways that we get around that and, and uh, that, that we get smarter about how we hire. Because you're right, we're still hiring in an antiquated way because that's that's all most HR companies know what to do. So it says in this, you know, this, the stats, only 20% said that their organizations helped them to be successful. And if you look at my data uh, from worldwide surveys and assessments, only 12% of teams are high performing. Now there are elements of, of the team that perform high, but if you I'm talking about moving up to continuing to be able to produce at high levels, sustain that, have people love their job, they feel challenged, they're growing, you know, they handle conflict well, they're able to adjust and change. Only 12% are able to do that. And it's because we're not hiring people the right way and we're not setting them up for success once they are there. Well, I want to, I think that's absolutely right, Spencer. And I want to transition that or segue that into another one of the tables uh, of metrics that are in the article. Uh, again, this was originally the source of the, the data is McKinsey in a study they did on McKinsey on this, what managers want. And I found the, the top two items uh, to be quite interesting. One, because in a certain way, you're like, duh, of course, that's what they want. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, there is a perception 
that middle management is a place for underperforming people to go hide in an organization, right? Like, uh-huh. they, ah, right? Like, I, you know, so there, there's this stereotype of the middle manager that doesn't really do anything, doesn't really have an impact. And is perfectly okay with that. Like, yeah, you know, I just, I'm just going to be over here in my corner, just doing my thing and nobody cares. But what this is saying is actually the people that are in these roles, they want more, more autonomy to make decisions, more responsibility. Everybody wants more success. Everyone wants to win, I believe. Yeah. And I think this, you know, what this is showing is it's kind of, you know, Tearing down that stereotype of the middle manager is the person who's not motivated and doesn't want to do anything and just is happy, you know, hiding out in that little corner of the organization. And because, you know, what they're showing here is more than money. Really what people want is they want autonomy. They want the ability to make decisions and they want more responsibilities, right? Wow. So more responsibilities means that, that, uh, so, so what happens a lot of times if, if you've promoted a, a middle manager and they are underperforming or they're not getting the job done, then you've got micro, you know, managers feel like they have to micromanage. And so they're like, you know, that they're not, I, I think this is one of the things that uh, is, needs to really be addressed within organizations as well, is that we're, we're not giving our people enough freedom. And how do you do that? Well, you set the direction and the overall organizational goals, but then allow each department the freedom to develop how they're going to achieve what's expected of them. So instead of saying, here's what you're going to do, here's what you need to do. It's like, all right, here's the overall objective. Here's our, whether that, you know, be a revenue objective or a market share objective is, um, and then go to, to each department and say, okay, tell me how, how much of that do you feel like you're able to own and how do you want to achieve it and let them come up with that plan within their own teams. That's the freedom and flexibility that we need to give the overall vision direction and major objectives come from the top, but how that's achieved at, at, you know, the departmental level needs to be, the ownership needs to be given there. Well, that means they need to know how to do that as well. So you need to make sure that you're coaching them and training them and developing them so that you have the confidence that they can do that. And if they don't, don't just step in and do it for them because that creates everything that we're, we were talking about. That creates a, 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 a lack of trust from the middle manager feeling like, hey, I'm not valued. So they do less and less and, and you feel like you have to step in and do more and more. And that creates a... a a virtuous cycle that ends up in failure in that position. And then we have this self-fulfilling prophecy. I see middle management's useless, so they don't do anything. And it just, we create that ourselves with, with poor leadership for all the way from the top. And I also think Spencer, uh, it's not just giving them the autonomy to do things amongst themselves within the department, but also giving them the permission to operate cross-functionally because oftentimes you have these bottlenecks from middle management because you've got different teams and different departments that aren't really allowed to talk to each other, right? So if they need to communicate from department A to department B, 
you got to go up through this channel to the head of department A, who takes the head of department B, who then funnels the information down there. And so you've got these bottlenecks and you have that pressure, just like you talked about in your exercise with that puzzle. You know, people C, D, E, F couldn't talk with each other. They just could talk with B, if I understand the exercise correctly. And that so they, correct. yeah. you know, right. So, so if they're given that permission and sometimes, uh, you know, the way that we're set up in our organization, we put these blockages there. And that's exactly why those lines of communication exist in the process to duplicate the barriers to communication that exist within organizations. So I, I think it's a fantastic exercise. And, and more and more these days, you know, an individual department on its own may not be able to come up with the optimal solution. They really need to work with uh, other areas of the organization and maybe even outside with other stakeholders. And so you got to encourage and facilitate that kind of uh, cross-functional communication, I think, to be successful. I, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up. I'm, I'm really excited to have, a, uh, have a, a new client interaction coming up this month uh, later in, in Florida. I'm, I'm really excited about it. But it's, a, it's, it's a, a company that the CEO gets it. And uh, this, this individual has a team of, of great people but they are now part of the senior staff. And this is a company that's still fairly young. I mean, they've been in business for 20 years, but what's happened is now he's given promotions to these people and they're in senior seats. They have senior titles and yet they still have a siloed mentality. So to, you know, kind of what you're talking about, they're only worried about their departments instead of, you know, the, the, the team on, on the back should be the, you know, the organization, not my department. And they're make, they're, they're excited to have, so he's actually given them authority. Well, now that's created a new problem that he needs to fix and train is that he's given them that flexibility, but instead of them communicating with others or making decisions that include others, they're making decisions in silos. I now have the authority. I now have the budget. I can do whatever I want within my team. And they're not understanding the consequences of, of actions that they make and how that's impacting anybody else. And so he wants to empower them to do exactly what you're talking about. Start reaching across to the other departments and, and work more collaboratively in the best interest of, of the client and, and the organization. But these, these problems persist everywhere and they need to be addressed. It's just part of human nature. It's part of the development. They don't teach the skills necessary for organizational success in, in college most of the time. And so who, who is it that runs these companies? A lot of times it's just entrepreneurs, right? And, and who learned how to lead from whom? From the greatest generation who fought two world wars, right? And it was just go do what I tell you to do. And, and there's, in today's world, we need managers and leaders that can connect with people for all the reasons we've talked about. Because we live in a VUCA world, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And it's stressful. It's anxious. It's, we need to, to, to consider mental health and well-being and work-life balance. And that means we need to be able to have human conversations. We can't just hire robots and be robots. Even though, you know, we hear about AI taking jobs that there will always be a need for these soft skills, for these human skills, for the interaction 
strengths to motivate and encourage and inspire teams to do more, to be more, to, uh, to go farther. Well, Spencer, this has been a fascinating conversation for me. Uh, I've, I've learned a huge amount, but I don't want to cut us off without first uh, asking if there are any other critical points that you see here with middle managers that we haven't yet addressed. So I, 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 I want to share one point. I was talking to uh, one of my other coaching clients uh, in Europe, and this is a, a project manager who is doing absolutely terrific. You know, on her own, she, you know, a lot of times some of the women managers I work with are so motivated to learn and grow and be the best that they can be. Well, this project manager has seven direct reports that are project managers. And it's interesting that you say that, uh, you know, some people want to know that their manager can do the job. You know, she actually has one person on the team challenger. I challenging her. I need you to, I need to see you managing projects. And she's like, no, my job is to manage you. And it's a completely, you know, she's having to teach him the, the difference between doing the job and managing people doing the job. And she's doing a great job at that, but it's, she's had to navigate some very tricky relationships, especially coming from a man who thinks they, they deserve her position and uh, wanting to challenge her in, in these ways. It's really, really an interesting dynamic and she's doing it very, very well. But one of the things that we're talking about is just her, her ability to adapt to different situations. And I shared an article with her that was from 2000. It was written by Daniel Goleman in the Harvard Business Review. It's called, um, oh, what is the article called? It's called, uh, it's <laughs> how it, it's, um, I can't even remember it. It's, it's, it's about leadership and emotional intelligence and being able to adapt your, uh, your leadership style. And this article was referencing that one third of financial results, and this is based on research, I believe by the late Harvard psychologist, David McClellan, one third of financial results come from the climate on the team, the culture on the team, the human interaction on the team, the esprit de corps, how we get things done. And, and she, and she it was so funny. She says, this article is 23 years old and she works for a major organization that you would know if I were to say it. Um, she's like, we don't know this stuff. It's, it, or if we do, it's, it's not understood or even talked about or, or, uh, focused on in, in an organization like, like this. And most organizations don't, they don't understand the impact on the bottom line of, of, developing their their middle managers and the few that do have a huge advantage over those that don't 23 years later and and still people are like this is a mystery i i need to i need to develop my human skills really <laughs> so i i think that's what i yeah i just want to stress how important it is to invest stop giving the middle finger to middle management embrace them teach them, help them, encourage them and give them the skills and watch what happens with your, with your teams being happier, more engaged and more productive. That's what I would say. Well, I think that's a fitting conclusion uh, to this conversation, Spencer. I really appreciate you uh, carving time out of your busy schedule 
not just working, but unpacking your house and getting settled and doing all of that amazing stuff. So uh, you've helped so many organizations. Hopefully there are people that are listening right now. I'm sure there are people that are listening right now who are or watching saying, gosh, my organization is suffering from these same issues. How can they be fixed? My recommendation is call Spencer or talk to Spencer. So Spencer, if people want to know how to fix their middle management uh, situation so their organization can perform at a higher level, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Reach out to me on on LinkedIn, just Spencer Horn. Uh, and Altium Leadership is the name of our company. You can check out our website, altiumleadership.com. Thank you, Christian. You're always so gracious and kind. And you know what? I We've been doing this now for a couple of years, and I don't even know what episode we're on, 106. But I'm so grateful that you continue to do this with me. And I here's what's happening around the world. People are starting to wake up to the qualities of Christian Napier and everything that you bring. And everyone I talk to, they're like, yeah, Spencer's okay, but it's that Christian guy. He's, he's, <laughs> I was just talking to Melissa. It's like, yeah, you two together are, are amazing. And I, I, I know because he's, uh, Christian has all the strengths. You have all the strengths that, that I don't have. And, and what an asset you are to your organizations. How do people find, find you and find out more about how to get a hold of you? Well, gosh, Spencer, I'm over here. Uh, I'm flattered and blushing uh, after that very deep tissue ego massage uh, that you just <laughs> gave me there. Uh, <laughs> uh, people, you can find me on LinkedIn. Just look up for Christian Napier. You'll find me there and happy to uh, connect with anyone and help any way that I can. So thank you so much uh, for joining us the day after Labor Day here in the U.S. Listeners and viewers, please like and subscribe to our podcast and we'll catch you again soon. Thank you.